You can call me a wimp if you want to. That's okay. I'll take it. But I have a fear of something, and it's actually a really paralyzing fear as well, but people make it look so much fun all the time, but I just, I don't get it. I mean, my thing is, have you read the articles about all the freak accidents that happen on these things? And here's the thing is, I will go and I'll eat a hot dog right before just to say that I don't want to see it again, just not to have to ride it. And what I'm talking about is riding roller coasters. Like, I have control issues, and I just, like, mm, I don't know. But I have begun to ease up a little bit on those over the years, and I have ridden a few coasters. I did have a great picture that I was going to show you, but I decided to save you and spare you uh, from that this morning. But it's so funny, right, how we let irrational fears drive us all the time to not do things that are actually enjoyable. And then I think about how we fear death, and how actually that's such an irrational fear. Why is it that we, we will do anything that we possibly can to cheat it when the truth is, is that death is inevitable? It's something that's going to happen to everyone regardless of their religion, their race, their gender, their, their status. I mean, it's going to happen. So this morning what I want us to talk about is the one thing that none of us want to talk about, which is what happens when we die. And how we can replace that fear that we have when we think about death with hope and life. And so, good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Givewell Church South Haven. Glad that you joined us for worship this morning. And a nice warm welcome to those of you who are our guests uh, today. Uh, we're in the second week of our sermon series called Heaven. What can we expect in the life to come? It's been a, a fun series so far. Last week, our lead pastor, Jonathan Wallace, kicked us off with kind of a 35,000 foot view of uh, what is heaven, what is hell. And so, uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that message, would love to encourage you to go online. You can go to youtube.com slash getwellchurchsouthhaven. Uh, you can find that message along with previous message series, but would love for you to go listen to that uh, this week. But I remember uh, being young and having that question float around my head, and I'm sure that you have too, but what happens when I die? And uh, so that's, that's what we're going to talk about. And there's so much speculation, so much myth around this subject. There's books on it. Uh, pop culture tells us lots of things about this. Uh, but the truth is, is that a lot of it is just unfounded and just plain wrong. And so for us, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go to Scripture to find out what does Scripture say uh, about what happens when we die. Why are we doing that? Well, in a day and age when it seems like truth is whatever it wants to be, we have the truth that never changes. From beginning to end, God's word is what guides us who are his followers. And so we're going to go to see what the word has to say to us uh, to inform our worldview, to inform uh, our understanding of what happens uh, after we die. So let's jump right in. Last week, uh, Pastor Jonathan, he talked about this term intermediate heaven. He introduced it to us. And in the Old Testament, what we found is there's this place called Sheol, uh, that was kind of the place where once you died, you either went to one side, which was the side of comfort. Those who had placed their faith uh, in God uh, went to this place of comfort. Also, Abraham's bosom is another uh, term that's used there. Or you went to the other side of Sheol, which was a place of torment. And it's described as a place of thirst. 
and so here, uh, we understand that kind of as uh, hell. And so uh, in the New Testament, whenever we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus giving himself up uh, for us. When he rises from the dead, he opens up this intermediate heaven for us, for those who have placed our faith in Jesus and believe in God. And for those who don't believe in God and haven't placed their faith in Jesus, instead of a place of comfort, they go to a place of not comfort, right? So Jesus told his disciples about this place that he goes to prepare in John 14, and this is what he said. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And I love this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we could dissect this passage, but here's the point of, of what Jesus is saying, is that Jesus has gone to prepare a place. It's the intermediate heaven for us to rest in him. Now, intermediate heaven is, is really a place that we truly long for. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, there have been many times when I think that we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in the heart of hearts, we have ever desired anything else. We talked about our longings last month with the series on what the heart wants. And it's so true is that heaven is kind of in the deepest part of our desires. And it's what we were created by God to long for is to long for him. Because here's the thing is whenever we make it to this heaven, all the, all the desires, all the longings of our heart will be completely and forever satisfied in God and in Jesus Christ. See, in this life, we run ourselves ragged trying to find purpose and significance and, and fulfillment, right? Uh, we will try anything and do anything. We will cut people out, all this kind of stuff, just to somehow find fulfillment. But friends, salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. He's the only thing that will ever fill that spot. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, what we find is that our purpose and our fulfillment, this side of heaven begins to be filled by him. And y'all, we find the glory of the fulfillment, the completion of it, whenever we make ourselves into heaven. Now, this intermediate heaven, though, is not our final stop on the journey. I think a lot of times we think that it is, and maybe that's probably been because of our culture. But the thing is, is that there's a day coming when the Lord will return to earth, and he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. It's the new order of creation and it's there that we'll enjoy that for eternity. But until that day comes, we get to enjoy the intermediate heaven when we die. That place prepared specifically for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk a little more uh, in the weeks to come on what, what is this intermediate heaven like. We'll talk more about what is the new heavens and the new earth. What do we have to look forward to is there in the coming weeks. But. Let's focus in uh, on this. So Ben Franklin is credited with the saying that says, uh, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes, right? Why do we die? Why do we die? Have you ever wondered that? Why do we die? 
Well, Scripture tells us that the curse uh, of death comes from when sin entered the world for the first time. If we go very, all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, we find Adam in the garden. And God tells Adam in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, he says of this tree, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, For if you eat of it, when you do, you will certainly die. And you remember the snake slithers in, brings the temptation, deceives Adam and Eve to eat of the one tree of all the other trees. The one tree that they were not supposed to eat of. And so sin enters the world. We find that one chapter later in chapter 3. And because of sin, death enters the world and none of us are immune from it. But God, in his goodness... He bans, which this oftentimes sounds wrong, but, but it actually is true that it's such a grace that God bans Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Why? It's because if they were to eat from the tree of life, they would forever be stuck in this curse of sin. But the good news is this, is that God's plan was not that his crown of creation, Adam and Eve, humanity, Not that we would stay in this state of sin forever, but that he one day would break the curse of death, the curse of sin, that we may live forever with him. Death is not going to get the final word. He sent his son Jesus to the world who lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve, and by the power of God and the grace of God, he raised from the dead, breaking the power, the curse of death. And because he lives, we too will live. And one day he's going to come back. One day he's going to return. And we're going to experience life forever with him. And we will experience rest. Rest. True rest. Our strivings will cease in Jesus. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? So I don't want you to miss this. Is that death... While a curse from sin is a means of mercy to those in who are in Christ. You see, until Christ returns, sin is going to continue to wreak havoc on humanity and on this world. All right? And when we leave this world, whether we're called by God up to heaven or Jesus Christ returns himself, whichever happens first. It is a mercy to us that we get to no longer experience the pain and the heartache than in this world and in this life. Sin will not touch us when we enter into heaven. Randy Alcorn in his book entitled Heaven, it's a great book, um, he drops on this point whenever he says this about this being a means of mercy. He says, for Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. It is, for unbelievers, it is the closest they come to heaven. Let that sink in just a second. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. For unbelievers, this is the closest they come to heaven. You see, friends, we're looking forward to to a world that is better, far better than anything of this world. So let's not settle For the things of this world. When we die, it's an end to the hell that we experience and endure because of sin on this earth. We'll get to enter into something that is so much better than any of our wildest imaginations can can even come up with. It's the longing 
of our hearts. Heaven, heaven. So I mentioned earlier uh, that there's a lot of speculation around uh, this subject uh, about what happens when we die. And I, I primarily want us to focus on what Scripture tells us. But I want you to keep this in mind as we go through these points that this is for those who die, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So what does Scripture tell us? Well, three things, three very important things for us to, to glean from Scripture. The first is this, is that when we die, we are with Jesus Christ immediately in heaven. Immediately in heaven. Now, we know this uh, mostly because of one key scripture from Luke 23. Uh, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and beside him are two criminals uh, as well. And the, notice what Jesus says here. So one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you were under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today, today, today you will be with me in paradise. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, he makes a promise to a dying and repentant thief that today, by the power and grace of God, this promise is kept. The thief's sins are washed away, and his death is an entrance now into heaven. See, when we pass from this earth into heaven, we're ushered there immediately. Luke 16, uh, Pastor Jonathan read this last week, uh, but it tells us about the story of a, man na a beggar named Lazarus and a rich man, right? And in this story, it tells of in verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. You see, that was the comfort side of Sheol. For those of us who are in Christ, we're not carried to this comfort side of shield. We're carried to the very side of Christ, our Savior, in heaven, immediately when we die. Paul, writing to encourage the Thessalonian believers, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring those uh, who are with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. Now, when Paul uses this idea of falling asleep, and we see it all throughout Scripture, what they mean is those who have died. And because of the biblical and historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead, we're brought to God when we die. And that's why Paul encourages the Thessalonians. He says, do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And do you remember John 14? Jesus has prepared a place and takes us to be with him there. We have hope when we die as followers of Jesus. And our hope is that we are with Christ immediately in heaven when we die. And that's been secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our first point was that when we die, we are with Jesus Christ immediately in heaven. A second point that we find from scripture is that when we die, we shed the mortal for the incorruptible in heaven. Now, whenever we make it to heaven, uh, we'll be in the presence of God. And if you have spent any time reading through Scripture, you'll notice a very common theme whenever it comes to the presence of God. 
is that sin cannot be in the presence of God at all. And so that means that there's quite an issue with these mortal sinful bodies of ours, right, being in the presence of God. And so our bodies have been marred by sin, and so we can't be in the presence of a holy God if so. That's why when we die, our mortal bodies, these sinful bodies, stay here on earth along with all of our possessions. See, when we die, our soul is separated from our mortal bodies, and it's joined with some type of physical, spiritual body that we receive in heaven. And you may be like, Hunter, what are you talking about? And I know that that doesn't really make a lot of sense, and it's because Scripture isn't like totally clear uh, on what type of body we do receive, but heaven is a real place, a physical place. And if so, it's not that we're just going to be some type of ghost floating around up there on a cloud. No, we're going to receive some type of body that can be in the presence of God. And what a glorious thing that is, that we get to join with God. And here's what Paul writes about this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, For while we are in this tent, talking about our mortal bodies, we groan in our burdens because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. It's that heavenly body that we will receive. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what? Life. Gracious friends, like isn't that something? Like, shed this thing and give me something that's swallowed up by life. That's awesome, right? We will experience the fullness for the very first time of what it means to be, have these broken bodies shed and the fullness of life that we've been promised thereof. No more sin, no more brokenness, no more heartache, no more tears, no more fears. The bad parts of us gone. We give up our mortal bodies for incorruptible bodies that can dwell in the presence of our God. And there's evidence that we're going to know each other also and that we're going to be ourselves only perfectly. And I think about how my sarcasm will be encouraging rather than, you know, whatever it is now, which I think is encouraging sometimes too. But we find this from the witness of Scripture in Luke 16. Like we talked about earlier, you've got Abraham, Lazarus, and this rich man. They apparently are all recognizable, right? In Matthew 17, at the transfiguration on the mount with Jesus, you have Moses and Elijah that are recognizable by Peter, James, and John. So to me, it seems like there's some good warrant that we're going to know each other uh, in heaven. Now, this incorruptible body, physical, spiritual body that we receive when we go to intermediate heaven is not the final uh, part of what we receive. You see, one day there's going to be a time when Jesus returns that uh, God reunites our soul and this body uh, together. Uh, but it's not this body that will be raised from the dead, but a glorified body. Uh, so just as Christ was raised from the dead, from the tomb, after three days, he's the firstborn of the dead. Scripture is clear that there will be a resurrection of the dead, and those who are in Christ will be raised first, and that you'll receive a glorified body. It'll be some part of this just perfectly, to be able to live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15, but until then, while we're in the intermediate heaven, we get to enjoy the incorruptible body uh, that we'll have there. So, 
The first point was, when we die, we are with Jesus immediately in heaven. Number two, when we die, we shed the mortal for the incorruptible in heaven. And number three, the third thing that we, we glean from Scripture is that when we die, we join the saints in heaven. Now, the author of Hebrews, after he has uh, described story after story after story of those who lived before Jesus' day and how they lived by faith, and because of that faith in God, their faith is credited to them as righteousness, he writes this in uh, chapter 12, verse 14. He says, Therefore, by, uh, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This great cloud of witnesses are those that are waiting in heaven right now for us. And here's the thing, friends, is that they're cheering us on. They can see what's going on here and they're cheering us on. They're cheering you on as you run this race with endurance. They're cheering you on as you choose each and every day to follow Jesus, to live with boldness and courage. And I think about this. I saw this the other day, and it's been a thought that has just really captured me. But can you imagine the cheers of the saints as Paul entered into heaven of those whom he martyred? Friends, Paul, said, he self-describes himself as the chief of sinners, the chief of sinners. Can you imagine all the people that he had killed as he persecuted the early church? And yet, can you imagine the saints' delight as Paul gave himself to Christ and received what they received as well? Whatever it is that you carry, whatever it is that you think that you've done, God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater. The saints are cheering you on. It's the hope that we too have as it is Jesus who saves us, not ourselves. And Paul knew that. One thing that the saints in heaven know, and, and as we join them in heaven, is that there's a certainty that God's plan will be accomplished. I mean, can you imagine as soon as your eyes reach and see heaven, you know everything that has been promised, everything that you have hoped for, will now be made reality. You will know that all of God's plans will certainly come to fruition. That is what we hope for. And we join the saints whenever we do that. Sin and death and Satan defeated. This curse of death will be defeated. You will see it with your own eyes and experience that reality. What I love to think about is that our faith will be made sight whenever we reach heaven. And what a glorious day that's going to be. And so we will join the saints and we'll wait there with them as we wait the new heavens and the new earth to enjoy eternity with God. So those are three things that we know uh, from Scripture that happen when we die. What about uh, some things that we know doesn't happen, right? So the first thing we know doesn't happen is that we don't enter soul sleep. Right? And this is a false teaching known as soul sleep. And it's one that says that the souls of the dead are in a state of unconscious existence. Uh, it's a claim that after some period of time, when, when Jesus returns again, that God will then wake up the souls of those who have died. Um, 
Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us this. Whenever uh, the New Testament talks about sleeping, it never talks about the soul, but it talks about the body, right? Uh, it only applies to the body. So we don't remain in some suspended animation uh, whenever we die until Christ returns. Hebrews 9.27, it tells us that the moment we die, we face the judgment of God, either to enter heaven or to enter hell. And for believers, to be absent from the body means to be present with Christ. Paul tells us this. And in Philippians 1, Paul says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And friends, if, if gaining is just being asleep for the next several little while, whatever, like that's not really gaining to me, right? If Paul really understood, and I think that he did, gaining is that we're in the presence of Jesus immediately. So there's no soul sleep. It's not a thing. There's no discontinuation of life after we die. We immediately enter life with God in heaven. The second thing we know uh, from Scripture doesn't happen is that we don't become an angel or a ghost or an animal or anything else other than ourselves. Like this is what we become. And it's so popular in our culture to think that when we die, we become angels. And it's also very popular in other cultures to think that you become a ghost or some type of animal after we die. But here's the thing is that it's just not true in Scripture. We don't see that. Nowhere does it say that we become angels or ghosts or anything else. And we're not reincarnated. We, we only have one life that we live. And guess what? And I feel like this is a really good thing to look forward to, but we become and stay ourselves. Like... I may beat myself up a lot, and I'm pretty hard on myself, but, but I do like myself too, and I think that God created me. So if he created me a human, I have a feeling that I'm going to probably stay a human. Now, angels, they're beings created by God, and they're entirely different than humans. They're God's special agents to carry out God's plan, and they minister to the followers of Jesus. But there's no indication in Scripture that angels were at any point formerly humans, uh, and so here's the thing is that we, we get to stay human. Isn't that great? Um, and we are God's crown of creation, as Genesis tells us. So we don't enter soul sleep. We don't become an angel or a ghost or animal or anything else other than ourselves. And the third thing that we know from Scripture that doesn't happen is that we don't get a second chance. We don't get a second chance. It's also a very popular thought that we somehow go to purgatory. And that's that kind of place of holding uh, that our loved ones go to. And somehow maybe we can pray them out of uh, that and they can go to heaven despite what it is that they chose, how they chose to live their life on this earth. But once again, that's not something that we find in scripture. So it's just not true. But I do want you to hear this. This sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? And I wrestled with this one this week. We don't get a second chance, but our God is the God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances and on and on and on this side of heaven. This side of heaven. You see, our God is so patient with us. and I'm so grateful for that. And like we talked a few minutes ago, judgment happens when we enter death. We're held accountable because God is also the God of justice, of justice. What happens after you die depends on what happens before 
you die. And what I love is that Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.9, he says that the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, God offers grace after grace after grace. He's always reaching out. How are we responding? How are we taking it? Are we receiving his grace or do we keep pushing it back? Do we keep wanting to live our own way or do we want to finally come into that rest for our souls now that he can give us today? See, it's not enough to just know who Jesus is or to even just know a few things about him. I mean, scripture is very clear that even the demons know who Jesus is and they shudder at the fact of who Jesus is. It's about a personal relationship of trusting, of surrendering to him. He's got to become your Lord and your King. And that changes everything. Because what happens is whenever we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, his righteousness is bestowed upon us. It's not our doing. It's no longer us who make the way, but Jesus has made the way for us. We just have to rest in him. His righteousness, his blood washes away our sins. When we reach that time of judgment, it's not us that God sees, but it sees that our, our penalty has been paid by Jesus Christ. Enter in, my servant. Enter in, my friend, is what we will hear. This is our free gift. It's ours for the taking. But you have to claim it this side of heaven. And he's offering it to you. He's offering it to this world. That is who our God is. He's patient. He's willing. He's loving. Friends, he's a good father. All right. So this is where we'll end this morning. We started by talking about this fear of death that we have. But what do we have to fear? Seriously, though, what what do we have to fear? If, If this is what happens when we die, According to scripture. And if we have something far more glorious than this world to look forward to, why do we fear dying? Friends, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then you have a living hope. Not a dead hope. Not a chance that somehow you're going to get somewhere. No. This is a certainty that because of the power and grace of God, because of Jesus Christ, because you've placed your faith in him, You can have assurance, confidence in this life to come. That's because the resurrection of Jesus, fear becomes replaced with confidence in Jesus. We can have confidence in this life and confidence in the life to come. See, we can have confidence to be faithful and obedient to Christ no matter what this world or Satan throws at us. We can also have confidence that there's a better home awaiting us than this world. It's heaven. Christ is going to call us home or he's going to return and we get to experience life with him. It's not a confidence in ourselves, but it's a confidence in what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. And so often I've struggled with that. You know, I've wrestled in prayer with God, like how can I know so certainly? Well, friends, the more that you're in this word, the more that you hear his voice speaking to you, the more that you trust him, that you hear him say, you are mine. You are mine. This is what I have done. It'll begin to change your heart, begin to change your mind. You will trust him more. 
And most of the time, whenever I've really been wrestling with that, what's happened is I've been finding myself hanging on to, to my own accomplishments and what I've, I've been doing for the Lord and really the shortfall thereof, right? That's all because of Jesus. We just have to rest in him. The most famous verse in the Bible puts it back into perspective of who paid the payment for our assurance. And it's not you or me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We do not have to fear death. Why? Well, Jesus told his friends in John chapter 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me even uh, will live even though they die. Because Jesus rose from the grave, displaying the power of resurrection and life. We can have confidence in him too. We have a living hope. Because Jesus lives, we should live also. <clears throat> so let's face the future. Let's face the future as those saints before us have. No matter what the world throws at us, let's face the future with boldness, with courage, with confidence, obedient to follow Jesus day after day, awaiting the time whenever he, when we'll meet him face to face. And I love this line, and great is thy faithfulness, that great old hymn, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Can you imagine what this world will look like if we lived as people who do not fear death? but in the boldness of Christ, in this living hope that we have, what it would do to not only us, but to the world around us. Friends, what a glorious day we have to look forward to and what strength that gives us to live today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that we get to hear your voice, know your assurance, and Lord, we pray that you would use your word to encourage us, Lord, to give us hope for today, to face the things that you uh, have placed in our path that we have to endure, Lord, and that we would do it as your people. Father, we thank you for the hope of heaven, for the hope that this world is not all that there is. Lord, for the hope that our lives don't have to stay this way. And that sin and death don't get the final word, but Jesus, you do. We thank you for the assurance, the confidence that we can receive, the fear that has to go away because of your presence, Lord, with us. And so, God, we pray by your spirit that you would dwell in us. Lord, that you would give us boldness and courage, that you give us audacity to be your people in this world until you call us home or until you return. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. In just a moment, we're gonna sing a song about this living hope that we have. I wanna encourage you, listen to the lyrics, let it wash over you, sing this song to God. Respond as you feel that you need to. You can pray in your seats, you can come down front and pray at the rails if you would like. But now's the time that we respond. So if you'll stand, let's sing together.